All summer, we're going to be walking through this great book of James, and we're calling it Choices. It's really a book on wisdom, and we're calling it Choices, what to do when you don't have a clue. I was with an older woman in our church at Broad Street this week with some folks, and she was unpacking her life and telling me about some stuff, and I've known it for months. There's something that she needs to do. She just needs to do it. She's lacking the courage. Okay, I hope she's not here today. But I'm sitting there across the table from her thinking, there's a ton of decisions I got to make. Ever feel that way if you're a leader? There's just a lot of decisions that you have to make. And I'm like, Lord, I need to know what do I do? All kind of choices that I need to make. Lord, show me so that I can do it. And maybe today you're, that's where you are, just lacking wisdom. We're going to walk through James. We started last week. We, what to do when you don't have a clue? What do you do when hard times hit? What do you do when temptation turns up? What do you do when religion goes wrong? What do you do when judgment jumps mercy? What do you do when words wound? What do you do when hearts start to hate? What do you do when your goals are not God's? What do you do uh, when, when you just need to know, God, what's the next step for me? What do you do when wealth um, is worthless and when waiting just seems like so much work? James is rich. It's really, really good. Turn there, if you would, to James chapter 1. We're going to get there in a minute. James chapter 1, if you have a complimentary black ESV study Bible, uh, it'll be page 1011, page 1011. But turn to or tune in to James chapter 1 in a moment. We're going to hit up verses 13 through 18. You guys good with that? All right, a lot of folks out today, so I'm going to need your affirmation. I'm going to need you to shake heads. No, let me know that you're with me. And if you do that, I'll reward you, okay? If not, we'll just keep going and going and going. <laughs> Friends, show me a video of a dad trying to teach his daughter how to buckle herself in in the back seat. To say that she's independent is a great understatement. Take a look. You know, I'm convinced that God has created the world, has created the universe that we live in, and we can't live that way. That whole worry about yourself doesn't work. First of all, it just doesn't work. If you read the news locally, nationally, globally, it doesn't work. You know, we're far more connected than you think we are. In fact, if a cell phone goes off in church, we're all affected by that, right? <laughs> They're just, we're just connected. But we really are connected. You know, we can't live that way. You worry about yourself. This letter was written, it's James, a bondservant of God. Remember, he's the half-brother of the Lord, of Christ, and he writes to the 12 tribes who are scattered. Uh, the ESV says the dispersion. That ain't a club, right? Some of you think of the dispersion, man. It's tight. It's banging. It's lit at the dispersion. That's not a club. That refers to the Roman Babylonian world or where these folks were scattered abroad. And how we live, it really does affect each other. We do. Life, no matter how far apart you are, we affect one another. I'm, I'm convinced of that. We can't live in a worry about yourself world. Every day, I believe my decisions, my actions affect others. Will I bring life or death? 
Will I be a uniter of people or a divider? Will my life paint a picture, a clear and compelling picture of salvation or of sin? Worry about yourself doesn't work. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. And old RG is going to put on the readers. And my wife Susan bought some 1.25s this week. I'm just so happy about that. The outward man is wasting away. That's a little Second Corinthians before we get into James 1. James 1, 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Circle that word, temptation. We are in a moment, we're going to look at the source of temptation as James teaches. We're going to look at the course of temptation. But before that, I want to step back a little bit in history. I want to step back into Genesis and talk about a man that you may or may not know much about, a man by the name of Lot, L-O-T, Lot. Who do you, uh, what do you know about this man, Lot? Anything? He was the nephew of Abraham. And these two men together had great wealth. They had a bunch of herds of animals. They had hundreds of people that worked for them. And though they were family, they got into a tense business relationship. There was tension there. And Abraham, being older and wiser, he says, hey, I got an idea. I want you to look out and just survey, scan the horizon, survey the land in front of you, and you pick some acres that will be your land. Let's resolve this tension, and then I'll take the rest. And in Genesis chapter 13, here's what we see Lot doing. So Lot chooses for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot gives us, you circle that word temptation, Lot gives us a picture of temptation. And the first thing that we see there, the first stage of, of temptation is this, the flirtation stage. Scripture tells us of all the acreage that Lot could have cho chosen, he put it right next to that wicked city. Fl the flirtation stage. Now, if you tell a kid not to touch this podium, little kid, what's that kid going to do? Probably going to do something like this, going to get close to the podium. If it's one of my kids when they're younger, he's going to do like this, right? Look, dad, right? Explicitly say, don't touch the podium, I'm going to do this. And eventually, at least one of mine, would actually touch the podium, right? But the flirtation stage is when you get as close as you can without making a commitment. It's one little conversation, one quick text, one sly kiss, one step. It's the flirtation stage when you just get near it. Now look at Genesis chapter 14, Lot. It says, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possession since he was what? 
living, look at that, living in Sodom. The next chapter, months later, he goes from being near it to being in it. The second phase, the second stage, we could call this the rationalization stage. I hear it a lot, do you? Hey, we're just going to live together. Hey, God wants me to be happy. I'm going to leave her and them to go to her because after all, God wants me to be happy. If you as parents, grandparents, if you saw your kid out front of the yard playing with a copperhead, would you just look out from your kitchen window drinking your country time lemonade and smile and say, they're smiling. It could be safe. It could be fun. You're not going to do that because love doesn't do that, right? Love speaks up. And that second phase is this rationalization. I bet for Lot it went like this. I bet he told un Uncle Abram, I bet he said, hey, you know what? The, my son is at Sodom High School, and he's got a chance to star on the team. We need to get in town. My wife, she, she got accepted to the Sodom Country Club. And there's all that wear and tear on our car living outside the city. So we're going to go from near the city to in the city, right? Rationalization, the second stage. It begins with flirtation, and then there's rationalization. Look at Genesis chapter 19. Just a quick phrase. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Now, in ancient times, who sat in the gateway of the city? Does anybody know? The leaders. The leaders sat in the gateway. So here is Lot, near it, in it, of it, all in. Part of the leadership. In Genesis 19, we see this. Well, let, me, let me explain before we look at that passage. You can leave it up, it's fine. In this wicked city, Lot in the city takes a couple of friends into his home. We all know what it's like to have company come over, right? And the wicked men of Sodom, we're going to keep this PG best we can, but the wicked men of Sodom knock on the door. And they say, hey, those men, we want them and we want to have our way with them. Very wicked city. And here he says, Lot says, his response, no, look at these two words, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. The response seems to be correct. He seems to be a righteous guardian at this point. But those two words, no, or saying my friends, showed you where he was. It brings up another stage of temptation. We have the, we have the transformation stage. Your friends, the people that you're with can really have an impact on you, and it can be so very subtle. I remember years ago, I had some friends where I used to work out in the reservoir, and I had a, I had a meeting in my office. It wasn't common that I had an important meeting in my office, but it was post-Katrina, and I had some pastors come in, and a couple of them were pretty well-known pastors, and they were coming to Mississippi to bring some relief to our coast and to the affected areas. And some guys that I worked with, a bunch of hooligans, they took a big poster in my office wall and they replaced it with a poster, a life-size poster of the boy band NSYNC. And I came in and I sat down, I didn't even notice it, and they were facing me 
looking at the poster of Lance Bass and Justin Timberlake and such. I didn't notice. It was so slow and it was so subtle. And sin, sin can be that way. This stage where the transformation occurs, we're going to refer back to James in just a, a minute about enticement and entrapment and enslavement and the end thereof that's death. But this can happen. Look at the result of Genesis 19 of Lot's fate. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled into the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, our father is old and there's no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. Verse 36 of Genesis 19. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. There's no way a young man named Lot said, when I get old, I want to lose my wife in a tragic accident. I want to impregnate my daughters and I want to end up living in a dark cave. There is no way. 1 Corinthians 10 says that all that was written in the old was written for our instruction that we might learn from it, that we might be warned by it, that we would be exhorted by it, and that we could ponder the path of our very own feet. Now I wonder how many people's lives lead toward destruction or pointed in that very direction. The flirtation stage, the rationalization stage, the transformational stage, then finally there's the destruction stage. And that's the very thing that James is talking about. That what are the choices? What are the choices that you're making? What choices do you make when temptation sets in? I want to say and be very clear about this. Being tempted is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation is what's a sin. It's profound. It, it would, it's going to elicit maybe some angst or some more questions, which is good. That's what learning is about. But Hebrews 4 tells us we have a high priest, we have a Savior in Jesus who was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And if you're getting beat up by something, if your feet are on the path to destruction, if you've gone beyond the flirtation stage and the rationalization stage and, and, the trans and you're, you're on the cusp, I want today to point you to a Savior who identifies with you in your temptation. And we can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4 says, come boldly to the throne of grace to find that mercy and to find that grace. Look back down at James 1. We see the source of temptation. We see its source. And what is the source? Now, later we'll look, this summer, we'll look at James chapter 3 and verse 15 when he talks about two different kinds of wisdom. He says there's godly wisdom, which is pure and peaceable. It's open to reason. Some of you have a decision in your life, but you're not open to reason. That's not godly wisdom. Let people speak into your life and let them be open to them persuading you and helping you in this decision. That's godly wisdom. But he says there's another wisdom. It's not from above, James chapter 3 and verse 15. It's demonic. And that's the source of temptation. James chapter 4, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. James is going to talk to us about our enemy who's very real. His cohort, Peter, we've looked at recently, talk, describes him as a roaring lion. But here, James says, what is the source? 
What is the source of our temptation? Speak up, church, if you would. It's us. It's, it's that battle within that we all fight. It's why even though we're adults and we're more sophisticated about it, we're just like this little kid. Take a look. We're just, we're just like him. Don't deny. Look at Proverbs 19.3. We want to preach the whole scripture here at Fondren. Look what it says. This is so true. A person's own folly leads to their ruin. Yet their heart rages against the Lord. Parents, be careful. You're praising your kids for everything, giving them trophies for everything. But in their heart, just as in our heart, it rages against the Lord. Do you believe that? How about me? I mean, I'm the eloquent pastor here standing on the stage. What about me? You think my heart rages against the Lord? Some of you know me. This is an easy, easy question, right? Right? Shh. My heart rages against the Lord. It's good that I know that, right? And you need to know. You need to know the source of your temptation. It rages. Your heart rages against the Lord. The scripture says some great things about your heart. It says you ought to serve him wholeheartedly. Your work, Colossians 3.23, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Wholeheartedly serve him. Give him all of your heart. There are some passages that indicate that we can follow our hearts, but for the most part, we gotta be, be very careful about our hearts. Jeremiah says it's deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can understand it? And I tell you, Proverbs, he's got it there. It rages against the Lord. You and I are that little boy. The source of temptation, it's right here. In you, in me, in us all. We can't afford to not act like it. Thank you, James, for giving us some wisdom there. That's the source of temptation. What is the course of temptation? Uh, look down at verse 14 and 15. What does he say? He says that, that we're lured and enticed by our own desire, okay? And desire what? Desire gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. Can I say that again? You're tempted when you're lured and enticed by your own desire. And desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, what does it do? 
brings forth death. When it's fully grown, it brings forth the death. Enticement, entrapment, enslavement. Look at Proverbs chapter 7, some select passages from it. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house, her, she, as a prostitute. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of the night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intents. Next verses. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. Chapter 7, verses 21 and following. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk all at once. He followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Similar idea, scripture a lot of times goes to nature. That's why we ought to go to nature, right? Some people are there in nature right now. And what are some of those folks doing? They're on the water today, ought to be at church, but they're on the water and they're throwing a line in, right? And they're throwing in some baits. And they're hoping some fish, some fishies, see that bait and swim to it. They hope the fish don't, un- don't understand the hook, don't see the hook, but go toward the bait. And that's, enti- that's enticement. And that's that desire. And can I just say, I want to teach this to everybody. I want you to know the scripture is not against desire. In fact, some of you, your sin against the Lord is not living in your desires. And not realizing the desires that God has given you. What is the source of temptation? It's within. What is the course? Being lured, being enticed into desire. And desire that grows into sin. Somebody once said, I heard this in college, it's impacted my life. It reminds me to be careful, and sometimes I'm not. But be careful what you think, because thoughts turn into words, and words turn into actions, and actions turn into habits, and habits turn into character, and your character is your destiny. And that's what James is teaching us here. I was reading Judges. A couple of weeks ago, and in the book of Judges, it says there's this interesting verse, a section of verses in Judges chapter 3. And the Israelites are in battle with the Canaanites, and they're probably wondering, God, why don't you take care of the Canaanites? And in Judges chapter 3, the first part of that chapter, it says that God, in his intent, is leaving the Canaanites for the Israelites because some of them didn't know about war. And he wanted the future generations to know about war and battle. Do you get that? God is leaving the Canaanites for the Israelites so they would learn to fight. And as we round toward home, I want to give you a few things so that you can fight temptation. It's important. The first is, none of this will be new. But I want to ask you, is it a part of your experience? Is it what you're regularly practicing? The first is, Confess it to God. When you are tempted, confess it to God. Here in James chapter 1, it talks about the word of truth that's planted in you. And what is that truth? The apostle John would say in 1 John chapter 1 that if we say we we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in what the truth is not in us. Well, what do you do with that? You don't deny it, but what do you do? You confess it. You agree with God about it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That's the important part, don't you think? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your father looks at you with a heart of love. And we can look at that little boy with his mother above him and we're saying, busted. It's so obvious he's busted. But you know, it's so obvious that you're busted and me too. But the bigger word than busted is the word loved. And that's how the father sees you. Confess it to God. And let me say this, confess it to others. You can flip over there if you don't trust me, but James chapter five and verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You can pray for one another and you can be healed. Many months ago, a pastor grabbed me, literally grabbed me, said, man, come here, RG, let's talk. And he grabbed another friend and he said to both of us, can we step over here? This is a private conversation. He said, I want to I confess something to you. I'm being tempted in this area of my life. And I'm telling you, I'm really close to acting on it, and it would hurt some people. And he was nervous. He was emotional. And he was real. And I've been talking to him, as has my other brother. And he says, Robert, the moment those words came off my mouth to you two, it began to lose its power. Stay with me. My brother is a pastor. He said, I'm about to act on this. And what I'm going to do could really hurt some people. In fact, that's one of the reasons he's tempted to do it. He could be exonerated for something. A truth could get out. Somebody could be hurt with the truth. He was tempted to do it. He was so close. And I'm guessing he probably would have done it. Did he want to grab my arm? Did he want to pull me away? Did he want to risk our friendship? Did he want his reputation with me to slide a little bit? Probably none of those things. Remember I said he was nervous and he was emotional. But I'm telling you, the moment he spoke those words, would you pray for me? I want to confess to you what I'm thinking and I need help because I'm going to act on it. And it lost its power in his life. Confess it to God. Confess it to others. Some of you, man, I'm telling you, you're far away from admitting sin and temptation and mistakes. And God's calling you not just to admit it, but to learn from it. Confess it to God. Confess it to others. Thirdly, walk in the truth. Walk in the truth. Here's what I want to say. Don't spend your life saying, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to think about this. Because following Jesus is so much more than that. Can I tell you? It is so much more. And he wants you to lose your life in a grander purpose. Sometimes I'm, I'm wor- I've been worried recently about my own parenting. I've been talking to my wife, you know, we're imposing these rules and I agree with these rules and we're consistent with them, but is the, are we cultivating the relationship? Because it's, 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 we want our kids not just to not, not do things. We want their hearts to be ordered to the Lord. We want them to know that they're loved and there's something bigger there. And Jesus, the truth that Jesus said is that you die to yourself and you live for him. When it comes to temptation, I'm telling you, that's the best way to tackle it. Confess it to God, confess it to others, and live for him, love. Get your life caught up in others. I've collected some of your emails just over the last six months of some of you emailing me about what you're praying for, about how you can serve and how God can use you. Here's the list from you. I want to give God's love to foster children in our community. I want to help addicts overcome their addiction. 
I want to rescue women who are trying to get out of the adult entertainment industry. I want to save kids from trafficking. I want to tutor kids through Red Door. I want to help Fondren Church with the gym. I want to share the gospel with prison inmates. I want to become a first-time giver. I've collected your emails. These are from you. Saying, hey, this is what, I, this is what I'm praying for. I want to take a step. I don't want my faith to be boring anymore. And we're going to look next week when religion goes wrong. And I'm telling you, religion goes wrong when we just sit around and clench our fist and grit our teeth and say, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. And that doesn't work too well. Confess it to God when you're tempted. Confess it to others. Love and serve him. Walk in the truth. And the truth is Jesus wants you to live fully for him. And the last thing I would say is enjoy his gifts. Several years ago when our youngest was a little guy, I, I realized, you know, it's just part of being a dad. It's just identifying what your kids enjoy and as much as you can afford it or are inclined to do so. Take the time to give them those good gifts. And Wesley, our youngest, when he was a little bitty guy, he loved gingerbread men. And we would give him gingerbread men a lot. And I stopped at Primo's one day to get him some gingerbread men. And I brought him home to him so excited that he would enjoy the gift from his father. And he didn't want anything to do with it. I said, why not? You love gingerbread men. He said, it's got raisins. <laughs> so I walked out of the room with my thumb, opposable thumb and index finger. I took out the raisins. I did it quicker with him. And I handed him the gingerbread man. And my kid still didn't want his father's gifts. Y'all see, I just snapped the head off the gingerbread man. I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to cover for my mistake there, there. That's what I was doing. So I snapped the head off the gingerbread man. I threw it down and I ran out and we haven't been the same since. Wesley said what? I don't want the gingerbread man because it used to have raisins on it. <laughs> and I can tell you, some of you get this, as a father, you really want to give good gifts to your children, don't you? And it's, it, it, it's a joy and it delights you when, what, when they receive those gifts. I've already showed two videos. I can't show another one. We've got to go anyway. You can't show three in a sermon. Isn't that a rule? But there's that Justin Timberlake, you know, the new song of Justin Timberlake, that dance song, and he feels it in his soul. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, it's a jam. Like, I mean, if you, something, you got no joy if you hear that song and you don't want to dance. Even if you can't dance, you have to move to that one. You, you, you feel me? And there's that video, that homemade video of the dad and the daughter. Not if you've seen this, the, the dad and the little girl. Go watch it, punch it in and watch it later. But, oh, my goodness. And to see this white dad with his daughter trying to shake it a little bit and trying to move is just a thing to marvel at. And joy floods my soul because here's a dad saying, I love you. Let's dance together. You want to overcome temptation. You're never going to outgrow it. It's always going to be there. It's going to be knocking at your door. Genesis says it's like a, a lion, a tiger crouching at the door. It desires to have you. But I want to challenge you to confess it to God when you're tempted, to confess it to others. Don't forget that. To walk in his truth and to enjoy his gifts. Let's pray together.